you're telling me you're going to watch the Super Bowl? I don't know where to go with that comment, Colin, mainly because I, I, I'm, a, I'm a host. I'm a host of a Super Bowl party. What was your favorite game from the season? It's a staple. My favorite game? Yeah. Obviously, Bill's Chiefs. That's everyone's favorite game from the what season. What are you talking about? Was Did that, you watch it? Are, who even, are those teams? Playoff game? I have no idea what you're talking Sports? about. Sports? I haven't watched a single second. You have to be kidding me. No, I haven't watched a you second. You didn't even watch Brady's last game? No. Do you know who Tom Brady is? Heard of him. Yeah, right. of course. Tom Brady. Come on. I'm not in a vacuum, but this, this year, truly, it was the least amount of football I've ever watched. So, let me tell you. I spent one season pretty watch. hooked to the yeah. Eagles. Go Birds. I don't know what to do with that. Right, the, well. Generally, I feel like the Super Bowl, what I love about it is the day of the party. We do squares, which is a great time. Mm-hmm. You have to get there early if you want to do squares. You got to yeah. be at my house at 2.30 if you want to do oh, squares. Gosh. Okay. We're now I have, to be, I have to be at your house at a certain time? Yes, you do. You got to buy squares at 2.30. Well, squares is gambling, right? That's gambling. That's correct. Okay. How much money do I have to lose? Bring at least a thousand dollars. Okay, and then <laughs> sick. <laughs> and then there will be food. There's going to be drinks. People are going to yeah. have great conversation. Okay, it's going to be a lovely time. I don't know why. I must have some deep rooted childhood trauma from the Super Bowl. Yeah, like I just don't like the parties. I don't want to go, and I don't know why that is. Like I, I just, I don't know. Well, all right. Outside of Colin's <laughs> fear of the Super Bowl and Super Bowl parties on this episode of the Colin and Samir Show, we are going to start by talking about the Super Bowl and specifically about State Farm and one of their marketing strategies this year, opting out of buying a Super Bowl ad. We're also going to talk about David Dobrik and being bad at business. And lastly, we're going to talk about Wordle. So this is a variety show from the Colin and Samir Show. So from what I understand, a Super Bowl ad for 30 seconds costs six to seven million dollars. Outrageous. Unbelievable. I guess, though, the, the companies that buy these ads are like Budweiser. They're huge corporations. Like they, they have to be there, right? Yeah, there's almost they've built a culture on the Super Bowl that it says something about you if you're not there, if you're one of the big companies. And it, and it says something about you if you are there, that you have the money to be there. You are culturally relevant but I find that the creative challenge of making a good Super Bowl ad now is near impossible. Like, what is a good Super Bowl ad now? To be that creative, to capture people's attention, that's pretty it, it hard. It feels like every year there's one to two commercials that, that catch people. But, but they're always released before the Super Bowl anyway. Yeah. At this it, point, right? They, they pretty much release them all before. The, the most powerful Super Bowl ad that I remember in recent years was when the lights went out at the Super Bowl in the stadium and Oreo put out a tweet that said, like, we're dipping in the dark or something like that. I love like that, that you called that a Super Bowl ad. That's not, it's an ad around the Super Bowl, but they right. didn't pay for a spot. They didn't pay for a spot. So they got that basically just based off of their own creativity. And I think that's something that we're going to see a lot more. What's funny is we talk a lot about social hacking. This is the ultimate social hack, right? It's, it's, it's hopping on to the trend and the event that is the Super Bowl without having to pay this crazy gate fee of six to $7 million. Yeah. It's the, it's the modern advertising Olympics, Yeah, right? I feel like the best of the best all are coming into this weekend. And whether you're actually paying for the 30 seconds or not, whether you just have a Twitter presence, your job is to try and capitalize and social hack on this weekend. I think one thing that's really interesting about events like this, especially like the Super Bowl, the, 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 it's broken up into three distinct timeframes, pre-event, event, post-event, 
right now we're when we're recording this, we're in the pre-event space. And I'm pretty amazed at how deep the pre-event space has gone. Like I've been getting Super Bowl content from different people for maybe the last 10 days. And even leading up right now this week, like Barstool and the BFFs pod rented out Saddle Ranch here in LA for the whole week to yeah. host a live podcast every day leading up to the Super Bowl. So there's this interesting element that people are building on the event, you know, beforehand, and they're building up towards this this big moment that is the Super Bowl because it's top of mind for everyone. And it's what's part of the conversation right now. Yeah, and there's also this element of, you know, sometimes what you, from a brand perspective, what you don't do is news, right? When you look at what State Farm is doing, State Farm mm. had a commercial last year. This year, they've decided to mm. not pay for a commercial and instead direct that money to TikTok. And they're running a paid TikTok campaign where you can duet their videos with a certain hashtag mm. and audition to be in an actual State Farm commercial. Yeah. Very clever. And that Very story yeah. of them not being in the Super Bowl with the traditional ad is now the story, right? Like that's the news. They, they actually already won yeah, because exactly. they didn't have to spend the 6 million and we're talking about them. There's people talking about them on TikTok. More people are going to talk about them. And probably after the Super Bowl, there's going to be some conversation about advertising. What was the best ad? And then they'll come up again being like, actually, you know what? State Farm didn't buy an ad, but they did a TikTok campaign. They're in with like the new, you know, new wave. Something we talk about a lot is we want to be early and better. Mm -hmm. So even when we cover topics, we don't want to necessarily be the first person to cover a topic. Right. right. We want to be early and better. Mm -hmm. And that's where someone like State Farm right now has just won. They're early. They're not first to make any certain moves for the Super Bowl. I'm sure we, we haven't even heard about some of the people who were first. Right. They were just the best. Yeah. So far, they're the best because they're, they're the most interesting story. And I think that brings up another point around understanding what's the story of what you're doing, not just what you're doing. What's the headline? What are, can it, what are people going to write about? What's the headline? Yeah. What, what do people care about? And even if no one, even if you and I never watch any of the State Farm auditions or engage with anything about this State Farm Super Bowl campaign on TikTok, I still think the story is cool mm -hmm. that they're doing it. And, and that matters a lot. So I think as a creator, as an entrepreneur, thinking about the story of what you're doing is really important. Like what's the macro view of what you're doing? Not just what's the actual substance of the content. It's like your log line, yeah. right? Like all famous movies have really simple log lines. As mm -hmm. a creator, what you do, whether it's a video or a campaign, should be easily understood and shared from person to person because word of mouth is really still the most valuable marketing tool. Mm -hmm. Like these companies like Oreo, Mm -hmm. right? Or like State Farm, they're doing interesting things, but the reason it's spreading is because it's easy to talk about. It's word of mouth. And a lot of what this is, is what they refer to in marketing as earned media, which just means like they didn't pay for it. They earned it. And that's what Oreo <laughs> did, right? Like they earned that media. They, that's earned media that they essentially got millions and millions of impressions in what's called earned media. They didn't have to pay the $6 million. So I think that's a lot. Also of, known as organic, right? Yeah, that's organic marketing. Uh, but, you know, you think about that, those, those high level of impressions that they're getting primarily because they're like social hacking around the event. And so TikTok or the, the State Farm TikTok campaign, that's essentially what they're doing. They're going to get tons of impressions, but don't have to pay the 6 million bucks. That's really cool. Yeah. And it, it's probably less about needing to be in the Super Bowl and more about the market they're trying to reach. You choose to put most of your spend mm -hmm. towards TikTok. You're reaching a different audience. Like State Farm, a company like them, they already have a massive TV presence. 
huge. Yeah. That's probably reaching a millennial and mm-hmm. Gen X audience. So what's interesting is there's probably people on the other side right now for, for everyone who's listening, being like, wait a second, TikTok's like 11 to 13 year olds. Why is an insurance company advertising there? But there is actually a really interesting answer, which I learned early on in our advertising days that basically a lot of these companies, car companies, insurance companies, uh, they want to build that repetition and that almost feeling of friendliness with that young audience um, so that over time as they grow up, when that time comes when they're 18 years old and they have to buy insurance, they're like, State Farm, of course. Yeah. They were always there. They were around me at all times. Like that repetition creates trust. And that's a crazy thing to think about, but it is. It's like, mm-hmm. I have to, if I hear it a million times by the time I'm 18, I trust it. I mean, to buy something, you have to know it exists. Yeah. So start early. Yeah, start early. Now, of course, you can't legally really advertise or target like anyone sub 13, um, but th- that's what TikTok is. So if you're on TikTok doing that campaign, like you're trying to, you're trying to get in the mind of a 13 year old so that six years later when they're getting insurance, they're buying state. Yeah, I mean, they're betting the future of the company on yeah. their ability to market to 13 to 18 year olds. Right. Right. Because in 10 years, you got to be able to reach that market. That's why we're on TikTok. You know, we want, you yeah, know it. Yeah, that's why. That's, that's why we're why. on there dancing every yeah. f- couple times a day, you know, sure. hitting the trends. We're hitting those trends, those I trendies. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I'll trend. You know, it's our second biggest platform. TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, which feels like nuts to me. Yeah. But. I don't know. I guess it's, I guess our number one format is a TikTok, right? It's like a short form vertical piece of content. So I yeah. guess it makes sense that TikToks are number two. Yeah, but it feels a little dirty. Interesting. Because we're not super attuned to the trends that are happening from a week to week basis. Like we're not sure. monitoring TikTok right now to like hop on a trend. That's a tr- Which is fine. That's I, think, a- I think you don't have to. But, but it makes me feel strange that like on YouTube, I have a very good sense of what's happening on the platform. And, and for mm-hmm. some reason that makes me feel more comfortable to be like a, a participatory member of okay. YouTube. And on okay. TikTok, our shorts are, are, being, are being used as TikToks. They are TikToks, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's all the same. But I don't know as much about what's happening on TikTok. I kind of like that. It's the only place where that saying that we used to say all the time is true. Create more than you consume. Mm. We create more TikToks than, at least for me, I consume. <laughs> we consume, yeah. Which is great. Yeah. Um, I like it. That's like a, that, that's, that's fun for me. Mm, good I, point. I think the, um, the other part about the, the TikTok campaign is the suggestion that that's going to come up later in the pod as well, but around active participation on the internet, you know, later when we talk about Wordle, we're going to dive into it a little bit more, but like, you know, I think the world of the internet today is very active. We all want to be more active in our participation with our content. So I think even advertising is become is going to become a lot more active where it's State Farm's essentially saying like you help us advertise State Farm by submitting an audition. Yeah. And that's a risky you know, move though. Yeah, because like when move, brands try and make you do something, it's possible no one does it. Often everyone's like stop making us do this stupid dance. Like, yeah. We don't want to. But there's kind of something exciting. Even for me, I'm like, oh, it'd be kind of cool to be in a State Farm commercial. That's, see, yeah. if the incentive is there. Yeah. As then, long as the incentive is there. If the, if the incentive is there, yeah, yeah. Then, then people will do it. If the incentive is lame, it's never going to happen. Yeah. You know, but being on a national TV commercial, that's cool. They haven't specified, but if you get paid like a national TV actor, that would even be cooler. That'd be really And cool. they'd still spend less than $6 million. Yeah. So You know how Chipotle gives certain people the Chipotle for life card? Yeah. I think that would be smart of them to give one of those away. They probably have, but 
They definitely have. Proper incentive, right? Yeah. A TikTok trend. I thought you, you were just going to say that'd be great if they just gave it to us. I wouldn't say no. I, I wouldn't say no, but I wouldn't go that much. I wouldn't be over the moon. Yeah, I wouldn't I'm be over the moon. Yeah. I wouldn't be over the moon. Not my first What thought. I want, and I'm going to put this out into the universe, okay. just in case anyone listening can help me with this. Okay. And I've, I'm going to say I've already DM'd some people about this. Okay. I want a Bonza partnership. Oh, chickpea, chickpea pasta. pasta. I love Bonza. Yeah. I had a Cavatappi Bonza the other night. Is that English? What are you saying? To die for. Cavatappi. It's Italian. How do you say it? You, you took Italian? I don't know. The way you said it, though, didn't make me think it was Italian. Cavatappi? Yeah. Cavatappi. Uh, okay. Cavatappi. That sounds, I don't know if that's offensive or that that's Italian is that, or what I, that is. I don't, I, don't I'm looking, I don't know. I'm I hope I'm not offending someone. Know, yeah, I don't I have no idea. Okay. Well, uh, I had a- Do I even know you? I had a, a, a cavatappi, which is a, a squir- Careful, a squirrely, squirrely, Yeah, it's a chickpea-based pasta. It's a chickpea-based pasta, but what I'm trying to say is it's a curly, so it's DM, a curly so pasta. You, you DM'd them. I haven't DM'd them yet, but I've DM'd people who have gotten influencer packages from Bonza to say, <laughs> how are you doing this? How is this yeah. happening? Because I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying, Bonza, pay me a bunch of money. I'm just saying, Bonza, I want some Bonza. And I want the nice Bonza packages. Like the, they come in this nice orange box. You open it. It has different accessories in it. You want to be a Bonza ambassador. A, a Bonza ambassador. A Bonza ambassador. Yeah. I want to be a Bonza boy. A Bonza boy. Yeah. Okay. So I think if, we could make that, if that Like that is, that is a dream of mine. I'll be in a national commercial too. I don't mind, you know, for free. No, I didn't say that, but okay. you know, I mean, I think I've said this in the past, but Snyder's of Hanover, the pretzel company. Yeah. Gladly, I could see you gladly. being a pretzel guy. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you are a pretzel guy. I am, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah. I am a pretzel yeah. guy. I guess what we're suggesting right now is making deals that would be like very significant ambassadorships for very little money, which would be a move that would suggest that we were bad at business. That you'd be correct with that. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. have to be protective. Which is a great segue into our next topic about David Dobrik. Who said he's bad at business. So David had Ella on his podcast who no longer works for him. Ella was one of his kind of assistants during COVID. Well, we find out she was brought out to Los Angeles to work on an agency and a brand ad agency that David and Natalie were going to start. Exactly. So she was actually not an assistant. She was brought out to work on this project, which was David was going to start representing creators and helping them sell brand partnerships. And, you know, essentially when you're that big, you have a lot of interest from brands and you can't do all of those things. So the thought for a lot of creators is, what if I could take some of this interest and actually pass it to other creators? This has happened before. I mean, this is space station integrations, mm-hmm. right? Sean, Sean Duras, yeah, main creator, brought deals in and expanded his team and started doing deals for other creators. It's kind of a natural progression for creators to start their own ad agency because... They have so much inbound. If you're doing it right, then... We thought about doing it before we even had inbound. Yeah. Which would have been a terrible decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we thought about it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it it makes sense. The the most interesting part of this entire conversation is that he didn't do it. And the reason he didn't do it, he says, is because he's just bad at business. And that him and his all of his friends are bad at business. And it's so interesting for me to listen to him say that because I think right now the expectation of creator is creator entrepreneur. And what we're seeing right now in the world of creators is creators launching businesses. Mr. Beast with Beast Burger, Feastables, Logan Paul with Prime recently, Emma Chamberlain with Chamberlain Coffee. Like we're seeing all these businesses emerge. But David even talks about in that episode that a lot of times with celebrities, not only do you have inbound for brand partnerships, but you have inbound to start companies. Like a lot of, there's a lot of operators who want to start a company with you. 
Yeah, because everyone needs distribution. Everyone needs customers <clears throat> and creators have access to large audiences, right? There's, there's not much of a customer acquisition cost. I loved the honesty of David saying that, just being like, I'm bad at business. Because that honesty, I think, paints a picture for the world of creators that offers uh, multiple options for what it means to be a creator. And I feel like because creator has become synonymous with entrepreneur recently, that it is really refreshing to hear someone be like, I'm just a creator. You know, I just make cool stuff. And then all these thoughts in my head go back in time around like decision-making of Dobrik, where I'm like, well, if he just kept his content a little cleaner and if he used music from a music library, maybe he could monetize on YouTube. Maybe they would pay him because famously YouTube does not, you know, David doesn't make any money from AdSense. Yeah. But then you think about those decisions and that would have been a business decision, not a creative decision. He's making creative decisions. And I think it's so fascinating to think about the different roadmaps as a creator. And one of those roadmaps is to strictly be a creator and let other people handle the business. Yeah, I would imagine most creators are kind of like that, right? They get into it because they want to express themselves creatively. Some maybe get into it because it's a good business, but that's not guaranteed. That's pretty hard to do, to come into being a creator because you know it could be a good business. I guess I'm not suggesting that. What I'm suggesting is that creators right now, when they make it, the expectation on them, the pressure on them is to also be a really good entrepreneur because of how the industry has shaped up, right? And because of the roadmaps that we're starting to see emerge. And I think it's really just important to recognize that there's multiple different options. So I wonder if, I think what would be cool is if we break down, what does it look like if you are truly a creator, creator? Like our relationship is really interesting. Because I think in the absence of this relationship, I'm not sure I'm making internet videos mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if you are either. Yeah, I may be making internet videos, but I'm not concerning myself with how we're going to monetize them. You're also, would you say that you also resonate with that, like, I'm bad at business notion from David? Yeah, I, I, I don't find it, I want to say I don't find it fun because now I kind of found it, find yeah. it fun. But initially, and where my head is for the most part at, is in the creative. Is in creating. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you weren't here, I wouldn't have my own YouTube channel, probably. I would want to go work at a media company and let them figure out how to monetize it and just let me focus on making things. Or even if you did have your own YouTube channel, let's just say, how would you go about doing the business side of it. I would find someone to do the business side of it. I'd get a good manager. I'd get a good agent, hopefully work with good people. So let's talk about the differences between that. So you're a creator and you're at the, you know, you're at the core. You want to spend your time creating. You're David Dobrik, right? Now, <clears throat> if you're doing your job and making really good videos, one thing that Mr. Beast told us when we did our interview with him was he was like, just focus on making the best videos possible and the world will unlock. And I thought that was really good advice because that shows the type of focus you need to be a creator. So if you truly are just focused on making really good videos, how do you build a team around it? Typically the first step for a lot of creators is to get someone to help them sell brand deals. Now that is an agency. An agency is going to take a commission only on what they sell. Now, typically that's anywhere from 10, 15 to even 20%, depending on the agency. So 
just to understand, that's like what that relationship looks like is, you know, you get a deal for $10,000, you're paying 1500 to mm-hmm. the agency who brought it and they're going to organize and deal with the client. You don't have to deal with the client. Just keep making your videos and you, you integrate the brand into your videos. Now, the other more involved option is actually a manager. The manager will take a percentage off of your entire business. That means any dollar that comes in the door for your business, AdSense, merchandise, courses, advertising, sponsorship, speaking engagements, whatever you do to make money, that person will commission. But also what they do is they play the role of essentially like the boss. You know, like they're the ones who, if anyone, if you get an email, they're responding to the email. If you get um, any interest, they're responding to it. If you need to hire someone, they might be interviewing that person. And you have been that person in this business right? for us. And I can say it's very liberating. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to say back in some of these emails. Right. 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 And I just want to focus on the show. Right. And, and it does get overwhelming at one point as a creator to, you know, what does it mean to run a business as a creator? There is just so much relationship dynamics. There's the the industry, there's networking, there's sales, there's all this of contracts, there's employees, there's payments, there's HR. Like, And if you're fortunate, sometimes you have too many opportunities. Too many opportunities. So you have to decide which ones are right. And that's a skill set. And so even for us, like, even though I've played that role, I even told you recently, like, I've reached my limit on that role. Yeah. Because we have to focus on making this product as good as possible. So I do think that a lot of creators, as you get to that point, it's important to understand the difference between those two things an agency and, and management. Typically agency is bringing in the opportunities. Manager is helping you grow the business. That world is getting pretty mixed uh, when it comes to the world of YouTube where a manager is bringing in deals or really responding to deals because so much if you are creating, and David says this in the podcast, if you are creating at a high level, so much of what you're doing is generating inbound opportunities. So it's really just solving the puzzle of how do you, how do you reply to those people and how do you organize? So I think as creators, when I think about even the fact that we acknowledge that I was doing some of the, the you know, quote unquote management, I think we missed a lot in the early stages that even if you're bad at business, things that you should knock off and things that you should check off as like a checklist for yourself. And those were overlooked for us at an early stage, which is why I think we too, even though I consider myself good at business, we were also pretty bad at business. What do you think we, I I agree with that, but what do you think we missed? Because I have an idea of what I think we missed out on. So what I think we missed which was brought on once we started to bring on a team and recognize what the opportunities were in the market were four very critical things that I think every creator requires. And you go down this checklist of, are you actually doing these things? So number one is hyper-defining your audience. Who's your audience? Who do you want to speak to? Then it's your value prop. How do you want to make them feel? What do you want to do with them? So for us, it's creators, our value prop, education. Third is your process. How are you actually going to deliver that to them on a regular basis, right? So for us, that became this show. We can make this show on a regular basis. And then the fourth is how do you want it to be monetized? So we said, hey, there's actually, you know, 60 to 90 second slots in our show that you can buy. So those four things, 
no matter what you're doing, I think are really important to think about. And you think back to like Dobrik, when he thinks about the agency, who does he want to serve? Did he actually want to serve other creators? What's the value prop? I can get you more money. What's the process? That's the part in the podcast where he, he said he started to learn about the process and he was like, I don't, don't want to do that. I don't want to do any of that. Right. And then the monetization, obviously you take a percentage of the deals. If you run yourself, no matter what you're doing through those four steps, I think you at least have a good sense of, I don't want to do that. So I need to bring someone on to do that. Or even I don't want to do this at all. That's not the audience I want to serve. That's not the value I want to bring. That's not a process I want to be involved in. That's not how I want to make money. I think as young creators, we overlooked that whole thing to think about what is this business and how can we be good at this business if we have those four things checked off and we want to do all four of those things then we're going to be all right. And because we didn't know those four things, we didn't know what to say no to and what to say yes to because we did have inbound. Uh Uh-huh. But it's hard to discern what's a good opportunity, what's a bad opportunity when they all have a dollar amount and Mm -hmm. you're in need of dollars. Yeah. We had no framework because we had not defined audience. We had not defined the value prop, Mm -hmm. the process and how we were going to monetize. So it was impossible to know when opportunities came in, does that fit into our process? Does that fit into our audience definition? And does that fit into how we would like to monetize? And today, if an opportunity doesn't fit in there, then it's like a clear guide to yes and no. And I want to say that there's some reality as a creator where you can't always start with all four of those things checked off and go, all right, right, let's go. Let's make some money. Mm -hmm. We had to do certain things to make money and you Mm -hmm. have to do certain things to figure out who you want to speak to, how you want to transform them, what your process is. I don't believe it's like something you can do from the onset but it's worth acknowledging at the start to, to know that like, as you go on this journey, you're trying to check those boxes off. And if you check those boxes off, you could have a stable career. I, and I think specifically for those who agree with the sentiment from Dobrik that like they're bad at business, quote unquote, I would say that you still have to do that part. You still have to say, who am I making content for? What's the value prop? How often am I making the content? What's my process to make content? And how much money do I want to make? Or how do I want to make money? Do I want to do advertising? Do I want to do merchandise? Do I want to do live events? And then you can pass that on to someone. So if a manager comes to you, I think what's important is that you say that. You say, this is what I want to do. Help me do that. Help me do this. But if you don't understand even what you want to do, then it's going to get kind of confusing. And that's how you know if you have a good manager too. If you've declared, this is what I want to do, and then you can rank their decisions and value what they're doing for you based off of what you told them you want to do, right? Mm -hmm. And start to understand, are they doing this just because they want the 15%? Is this actually a good deal that I should take? Right. Because it doesn't seem like it aligns with my audience, my value prop, my current process. It's it's a specialty project maybe that Mm -hmm. they're trying to push through. Like you need to have that framework as a creator to evaluate everything. Yes. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch you know, the world of David Dobrik evolve now into he's launching a pizza shop called Dobrik. Is he still doing that? He's still doing it. That's yeah. a unique idea. That's I thought cool. that was a smart that one. One's, that one, I think, fits in across the board. So that's frozen pizza? No, a, no, 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 no. So that's no. brick and mortar pizza. Brick and mortar pizza. I'm sure it'll eventually be frozen pizza, but it is a brick and mortar shop in West Hollywood here in LA that's going to open. That, I think, fits right in. The audience for David Dobrik is like, young, you know, collegiate and post-collegiate individuals. Now the value prop, it's just entertainment, culture and entertainment. So a physical location makes a ton of sense. Pizza, like it's just for young people. It just feels right. It's probably going to be open late. Now, additionally process, 
David's vlogs are more interesting when they're in an interesting location, when something's happening. So he creates an environment, a set for his vlogs with Dobrix, right? Monetization, it's right there. Yeah, it's like Central Perk for yeah, friends, right? Exactly. You have to have a place for people to hang out, a new setting, exactly. a new framework. So that idea, I like. Agency, I get. That didn't work. That didn't, like, that's not his audience's value. Product. That doesn't fit in. Perfume, I think, is like, you know, David's perfume is is okay. He even, he talks about it in that episode where he says, like, it's just, he likes smells and stuff. They also <laughs> thought about action figures. Yeah, they also thought about, point. they also thought about a chocolate bar like mm-hmm. Mr. Beast, which was going to be giving away money, which was a big part of Dobrik's audience and value prop. So I just think generally, you know, no matter what, if you are a creator who just wants to focus on creators, there are a ton of options for you to solve. Like, should I get a manager? Should I get uh, an agent? Should I get, you know, what, what, what should I get around me? You know, you, what you should get huh. an accountant. I agree with that. That is actually the first, <laughs> yeah, take that's a step the back. first thing we ever spent money on. Yeah. And good an money too, like money yeah. that felt yeah. kind of scary to pay for. Yeah. Yeah. First thing we ever spent on was an accountant. And I think, um, even if you're good at business, your thing you have to be best at is creating no matter what. Yeah. No matter what thing you have to be best at is creating. So of course you need to, to offload some of the stuff. But we actually recently interviewed um, Ludwig, uh, the streamer. Mm-hmm. And he talked to us, there's a little clip in that where he talks about how he didn't ta- pay taxes for two years because it just overwhelmed him. And he was like, I'll just, I just need to stream. Like I need to focus on yeah. streaming. And so he brought on just a friend to help him make sure he was organized. Yeah. And so yeah. I think it's a common sentiment with creators that they're quote unquote bad at business. Creators and anyone. And, and anyone who's not going in directly to be like, I'm a businessman. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am a businessman. I am ruthlessly going to understand accounting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's roadmaps out there. There's people around you. I would say the, the best advice I would give to anyone who connects with the sentiment, which I think is almost all creators, is really understand and explore your options. But no matter what, whoever you bring on, they're not going to answer all of your questions. They're not going to solve all of your problems. You still need to know those four things audience, value prop, process, monetization. You know those four things. You say, please help me do this and then work with someone based on that. The reasoning behind all of this is just to take the stress away because you can't create when you're stressed. So even though you're paying out and you're making less money, hopefully you're making more money because you're able to do more, do better work. Yeah, totally. I mean, we actually just got a tweet from someone who had a nightmare about us Yeah, and said that I had a nightmare that I met Colin and Samir, and although they're growing on YouTube, they were still broke. Pretty empathetic that that's his nightmare. Right. You know, that he felt that. He woke up feeling that one for I, us. I think that's a self nightmare. You like that says more about that him. That says more about him, that he has anxiety around, like, even if he grows, he's, he's still going to be broke, or he's still, it's still not going to make money. And I, I would say that's incredibly possible. Oh, yeah. It is super possible to have way more subscribers than us and still not be making money. So I think, you know, that is, that is something for sure. The way, to, the way to quell that and fix that is going to be what we just talked about. You know, finding people around you to help, recognizing that as the creator, you don't have to be the business person. You just have to be the one who understands the product and understands the audience, like exactly how you're going to deliver that product to the audience. And then you need to get someone or, or people or a group to help you do the rest. Even Feastables, right? Mr. Beast has so many people that work at his company, but that's a partnership with an expert direct-to-consumer company with Sharma Brands and Nick Sharma. I mean, he's very clear. 
in our interview with him that the thing he cares the most about is the main channel. Right. Everything he does is to make the main channel better, is right. to make the videos better. Right. All right. What can we learn from Wordle? Where did Wordle even come from? Because I feel like one day everyone in our office was playing Wordle and then now I'm playing Wordle every day. Okay. So software engineer, Josh Wardle. That's insane. W-A-R-D-L-E. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wardle makes it for his partner and they live in Brooklyn, I believe. And it goes live in October of 2021 and grows pretty exponentially. Like at mm-hmm. this point, I, I, there's 2.5 million people playing every day. That's not that much time that's passed. No, that is not a lot of time at all. Um, and specifically, his partner, she she really liked the New York Times word games. Yes. Which is so hyper-specific. Um, but there's probably a lot of other people who enjoy that, and clearly there are. He actually just made a more dynamic version of it. But there's there is something to be learned about how quickly this grew, not only from the simplicity of the game, but I feel like there's other components of it that I'm st- taking a step back and being like, wow, that's really smart how he did that. There's a few things here. One is that you can only play once a day. Yeah. So if you like it, you can't wait to play the next day. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and that's something that's reminiscent of the actual New York Times crossword mm. puzzle, right? Where mm-hmm. you, you actually just get the one that comes out in the physical newspaper and you can play once a day. Like it's something from another era, but it has been brought to the digital world. Like human beings in general are ritualistic. We enjoy rituals. Like we wake up in the morning, we have our cup of coffee. Like I love that ritual. And adding things into a routine or a ritual, it, it's so easy to, to add them in. Even like going to the gym. If you start going to the gym, at first it's hard. But then once you start doing it, you feel weird when you don't do it. So anything that is ritualistic like that, even the podcast that I listen to on every Monday or on every Tuesday, like if it's not there, it feels weird. And you're, it's so quick to build a ritual or routine around it that I think Wordle being only once a day it, it enforces that ritual where it's like, it's, it's just once a day. I mean, we're ritualistic, but we're also naturally competitive. Mm-hmm. So it's the same word that globally we're all trying to, yeah. to get to the same five letter word every single day. And a fan of Wordle actually started sharing her results of her games via these squares. Mm-hmm. And then Josh integrated it into the game. Oh, interesting. So how we all now yeah. share Wordle, you see it all over Twitter that actually originated with a fan of the game. Now, I think what's so powerful about that, because I remember seeing the squares before seeing the game or knowing what the game was. I was like, what is everyone doing? And there's this really powerful tool of, if you know, you know, where it's just like, if you know what these squares are, you're in the club. If you don't, you're out of the club and you're trying to get into the club because you're like, what are these greens? What's happening? Why are there green and yellow squares all over Twitter? And you want to know, you want to be in the know. It's just a good story. It's, it's intrigue. It's an mm-hmm. act one, right? Where you're starting to see something and you want to know more. You want to fill in the gaps. I will say, granted, the rest of it was a disaster. But when Firefest was first announced, they did it through these orange squares. Yeah. Every big influencer just posted an orange square on Instagram. And that created so much intrigue. It Firefest, was, the original yeah. Wordle. That's the original Wordle. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks for watching. Appreciate yeah. you watching. Yeah. So that I think teaches you a lot about both scarcity as well as community. Like the community of Wordle was posting these squares and mm-hmm. that makes it feel like you're a part of something. And really exciting when I crossed over to someone who played Wordle, he makes it so easy to share. You just click the share button 
copy, paste, boom. I can do it in a text thread. I can do it on our Slack. I can do it on my Twitter. I can boom, 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 boom. Here's my world. And and there's this weird sense of pride too. You get it in three, you're like- Got it in three. Yeah. Get it in six, you're ashamed. Yeah. Ruins your day. Right. Kind of like getting a 10 out of 10 in the YouTube studio. True. But the great thing about Wordle is you get to try the next day. True. Something I think that's really interesting about Wordle is that if you look at Google Trends, it surpassed the search volume uh, for Squid Game. Right. So technically Wordle is more popular than Squid Game. It's crazy. But when we looked into that, I think a lot of the reason is because the domain that Wordle is hosted on is so absurd. Yeah. You can't just put in wordle.com and go play. Right. It's like powerlanguage.co. So you have to search Wordle. Ah, interesting. To get back to that domain. That's really interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. But it's, it's amazing that like, it can get so popular, but it, it's it's also like, of course, because it's interactive because I get to to play with it, right? Mm-hmm. I get to actually compete and do something. And, and, and it's not a solo experience like we talked yeah. about. Like you're ranking yourself against other people. We share mm-hmm. it in our company Slack every day. We've been on a yeah. streak for like the last <laughs> month. And I feel like the thing that is representative of the future of the internet, which we talk about a lot, is more of this interactivity the fact that I'm an active consumer or an active participant in the internet, not a passive consumer. Mm-hmm. So being an active participant means even on YouTube, like right now you're watching this video, you can actually comment, someone else can comment back to you and then you guys can have a conversation. So you're an active participant in this piece of content or you can say something that we then acknowledge and mm-hmm. is a part of our show. So you're an active participant. But this this is just representative of the future, which is just give me a page that I can interact with. It's a game. It's, it's, it's something that is not only a game, but it also provides me with content for the day. It provides me with a way to be active on the internet. And what's also interesting is that all of this has led up to Wordle being acquired by the New York Times for what they said was low seven figures. What do you think it was? 2.5 million, 3 million. You're saying 2.5 million because it's like a dollar per user. Is that- I know there's, there's no math no happening math. You just said it. That's just a number. Okay. Ah. Boom. Yeah. 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 What do you think? 1.7. Oh, lower. Yeah. Is I think crazy? whatever he got yeah. is probably worth it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because who knows? Are we really going to be playing Wordle five I years from now? That's a question. Know. Are we even going to be playing Wordle at the end of this year? Are we even going to be playing Wordle in the summer? But maybe it's- Some wor- people will be. But yeah. Yeah. Some people will be. Do you know that New York Times has a subscription just for its games? Like there's a really? monthly subscription you can pay. I, yeah. Wow. If that's wrong, we'll put a disclaimer here, but I, I'm pretty sure wow, that's wild. I read that. So for them, it's like, let's yeah. bring people in. It's similar sure. to Spotify buying Caller Daddy. Yeah. It's like, we are a subscription business mm-hmm. and here's a big audience. Mm-hmm. Let's bring them in. Another thing to learn outside of the concept of this scarcity, the concept of building community, the concept of making it really easy to share and building this active participation in a game. There's also this lesson to be learned of what we call audience of one. Sometimes when we think about a product, piece of content, something that we want to create, we think about the one person that we want to be receiving this. And if we hyper-focus on an audience of one, oftentimes you can make something so compelling that there's going to be more people who enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And what Josh Wardle or Wordle? Wardle. It would be more compelling if his name was Wordle. So if Josh Wordle, what he, you know, did was he literally made something for his partner one person, an audience of one. And that ended up being enjoyed by over 2 million people. And I think that goes for making content, making a product, making a brand. Like you have to get really specific with that singular person that you're creating for, because then you can start to think about 
What would make it more fun for them? What would they enjoy? What's the experience of that person? And if you can empathize with that experience, it can scale much further beyond them. Because people are more alike than they are different. That's a really important note to recognize that sometimes when you try and make something for everyone, you make something for no one. Yeah. But if you try and make something for one person, it might be for everyone. Wordle. So what word do you start with? I change it up every day. Every day. I tried a new one today. Tried audio. That's a great one. It's a really good one. I went with unfit. It's how you were feeling this morning. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I had to work out this morning and I wasn't feeling it. All right. Well, let us know if you guys are playing Wordle every day and also let us know what you thought about this format. Three different stories that we covered and we're actually going to be posting some of these on YouTube. We're experimenting on the channel, so we'd love your feedback. Check it out. We're going to be posting our Super Bowl episode uh, as well as the Wordle piece that we just covered. So let us know what you think. Give us feedback. We're going to be posting more YouTube videos coming up very soon. 